Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome back. This is episode 91 and probably the last episode of the year for the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-O? Hey, good to be back on the show, Tucker. Yep, this will probably be the last one as we're on the stretch into 2019. That we are. It's been a... Uh... It's been an interesting year, uh, so to speak, I guess. Um, it's been a shitty year. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, I, and I'm usually the clean-mouthed one on this. <laughs> yeah. Well. On the show. <laughs> we've seen shittier, though. So, I mean, all We have. We have. But this is, it, it, this was definitely, and we'll get deeper into this, but I don't think anyone will argue unequivocally this was the turning point in the market. 2018. When we look back five years, ten years from now, and we're like, okay, there's that little boom in the, you know, in the teens of the early part of this millennium. This will be the year where it flattened out and started to change. I would argue the entire year. I mean, I don't think it was just like one day, one week, one month. I think, and again, we'll get into this further. But I remember the one of the first podcasts of the year. Do you remember the one where I was nursing my wounds and, and, and crying into my coffee and saying, I just had like five deals terminate? Yeah. Or, it was just an ungodly amount. Like my month just evaporated and we talked about it. But I mean, that was a that was an early warning sign that buyers were just getting a little bit more skittish. And and I would love to say the year got, you know, a, t- a ton better from there. I mean, there was, don't get me wrong. We still did 55 million, 60 million, I think. For the year, which is down from the year before, but not not substantially, and so there was still just more and more pain to come. There were there were, there was plenty of successes and things that happened, but it's the first year in my real estate career where I really started to see listings and imagining, okay, these these just might not sell. So yeah, we'll get further into that, but. You know, I'll kind of just give a, a, a preface to what we're going to do. I think we're going to talk a little bit about our personal businesses. We're going to talk a little bit about the last market action report of the year for November, which is pretty telling about that. And then uh, I think we're just going to do a year in review, talk about some of the 
guests we had on the podcast, some of the exciting things we had happen here. So Absolutely. you want to kick it off, Tucker? Talk about what you got going on. I know yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. I guess to wrap up the year, it's been definitely bumpy. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster year, no question. We've been tracking numbers internally. And for us, we saw the turning point probably August. That was where we internally felt that, or maybe September. And it was like a, a hard skids. And so from our internal numbers, based on the underwriting of deals and where we were going to essentially put them to market, we or I will say, I personally feel we've had a 10% price correction already. I know the headlines and the numbers don't show that, but I feel like from April, May to December, November, what a property sells for in April, May and what it sells for in November, December is 10% difference. And it's an agree. interesting, and I, you know, I've got case in point on two properties that silver lining here. We sold one uh, this past Friday and we've got another one closing um, this Friday coming up. So we actually are going to end the year with, uh, you know, a $2 million plus uh, December, which in sales, which is, you know, good for us and a little bit unexpected because it did slow down dramatically. But the, the silver lining is, is that we kind of got ahead of where I thought prices were trending, we'll call it. And I basically said, okay, that we can do the same thing that we did last time around or that a lot of people did, which is fight the market, which you always lose, or you just accept the fact that there's a new normal and the new normal is a little bit more reasonable in terms of prices. Most of the time I have seen some outlandish sales, so I won't say that that doesn't happen, but most of the time the new normal is a little bit less aggressive pricing wise. And so we put our pricing in line with that and the market absorbed them quickly. So we actually got an offer over Thanksgiving. We got another one, uh, first week of December, it closed already. Actually, your buddy Jerry uh, closed a deal in like two weeks. So shout out to him. He did a good job. Jerry on the Wilson? Wall. Yep. yep. Oh, so. Over at uh, Finance of America. I just saw him at the gym the other day. Cool. Okay. Well, hopefully you're still buddies. But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, anyway, he uh, he closed a deal in about two weeks for us for uh, you know one of our one and a half million dollar homes. So he did a good job. But you know, we've seen it's been a bumpy ride. Um, we've been clearing some inventory off. We've had, you know, we had some projects in process that we bought in one market. We're selling in another. So, you know, as you say, it was a shitty year for us. It wasn't a shitty year, but it definitely was less profitable in the end on some than we had hoped because of the correction. But we're clearing the deck and we're kind of starting fresh with a new round of projects. And we're going to kind of underwrite based on the new normal moving forward. Um, and I know a lot of other builders are, you know, from the chatter that I've heard in the conversations that I've had, they're kind of in the same boat. They're a little more hesitant, definitely looking at inventory with a finer tooth comb. Um, you know, where's the lot? How's the traffic? Who's next door? What's the neighborhood like? Um, and then of course, you know, when you're talking about existing construction homes, the funky factor can be huge and all those other things that I listed as well. So it's, it's been an interesting year. We're ending strong. Um, you know, we've got some really exciting projects actually that we're starting moving forward. I know it's, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a slower market, but we're starting dig out finally on our, um, our biggest spec home to date, which is going to be our Dunthorpe project. So we've got it staked out. I'm actually going there after we record here today. And we're going to start digging out for um, that house, which will be, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of a $3 million home uh, once we're done with it. And um, then we've finally got uh, a meeting on the books on Thursday to get a uh, storm project put together, a partnership with the city of Lake Oswego that we're doing for our view lot, which 
has been just kind of marinating for a while. Fortunately, we've had some pretty ridiculous sales. Um, a builder friend of mine sold a couple houses just to the left of it for $2.3-ish million. And uh, there's a, a little bit of dirt just to the right that's uh, just the dirt alone is selling for $2 bucks. So our, our land marinated nicely, we'll call it, since it's got full panoramic views of the whole lake even though it came with quite a bit of a pain in the ass factor, but uh, we're, we're getting through all that. So all in all, I would say, you know, the year was good for us, um, but not without challenges and not without changes. And so we're ending strong, but it's been, it's been an interesting year. We'll leave it did at that. Did you see an uptick of activity in December and late November? I did, but so did at, at the new pricing though, I, yeah. I feel like people were coming in under, if it wasn't priced right, they were going to mm -hmm. offer less. And if it was priced right, they would offer you what you basically have it at. Plus, they, you know, maybe they want closing costs or something like that. They, they, everybody wants a win on the buy side right now is what I'm noticing. They, they, you know, it used to be the sellers were the only one winning. And right now it's transitioned that the, the buyers want to win uh, of some sort, whether it be during inspection, on price, on concessions, whatever it is. And um, I would say if you're moving inventory, most of the time those buyers are getting some type of win that they can feel good about. You want to hear something crazy, Tucker? I'm having one of the busiest Decembers I've ever had. Yeah. So I mean, it's, a good, it's a good sign, though. See, yeah, right? yeah. The caveat is, well, let me give you an example. I've got a listing in southwest Portland. It's listed at 769 It was originally with another agent, mind you, and it was way overpriced. Like, it, they came on the market in 17, mid-17 at nine fifty. <laughs> it's wow. now 769 It's a nice house. It's you know, almost 4,000 square feet on a half acre, gorgeous lot on a cul-de-sac right off of Stevenson Road over there. But it's listed now at 769. It's a nice house. It's I I truly believe it's worth every dime of that. We we got two offers, both five to ten percent off of asking price. Ten percent is a lot off of asking price, right? Yeah. So suddenly I have multiple offers on this in December, but they're low multiple offers and. And so, yeah, there's buyers out there. There's definitely an uptick of activity, but they're not, you know, they're not overpaying. They're not, they're, they're, uh, they're looking for deals. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to. No, I, I agree. I mean, I've time. heard, you know, one of the houses we've sold. Here's the problem with selling in December to these types of buyers though, too, right? On the seller side, right? Everybody wants a win. And some of the buyers out there, I will say, are a complete pain in the ass. They are like, it's our time. We're just going to be, you know, we want everything. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. And uh, they're running buyer's agents ragged and they're, you know, annoying the hell out of people like me who are selling inventory because they feel like, uh, you know, they can have that. So there is a little bit of that going on as well. But there is also a lot of offers happening and they're happening at that kind of new normal price. So I, I think it'll settle out moving forward at that new normal. But it's interesting you said that because, you know, we have experienced the same thing on some of our inventory where we're getting offers, but they were definitely lower than asking. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've seen some stuff sell at, you know, asking um, as of late or, you know, a touch more depending, you know, on where it is. But they're very specialty type properties. I would say on the average on the for the norm if you're getting offers, they're generally less than list. And, and I've seen that happen a lot where stuff went pending and then it closed and it's, you know, quite a bit less than list is what they ended up taking because that's where the market said pricing should be right now. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Tucker, sellers are still stubborn. They are stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Here's what I'll tell you. They, I believe incorrectly, but they believe times will get better soon. I keep hearing from my sellers, oh, I'm not going to take the, that offer. I'm not going to work with that. Let's just reject that. I'll relist in spring. Or 
one of them was saying, I'll lease it out for a year or two and then I'll sell it. And I'm like, really? You think this market's better then? <laughs> yeah. And not to mention for that year or two, you've had a tenant trashing your place and then you're going to go in, you're going to have to do a bunch of work to, to get it hopefully as close to as possible back to the nice condition it's in today. And then you think that th this this economy and market is is ho-hum and puppies and rainbows in 2020, 2021. I just don't know if I'm buying into that. I think I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, we're seeing I'm seeing storm clouds come across the greater economy outside of even real estate. I mean, they're they're not here yet, but they're forming in the background, not in my opinion. And I I don't think I'm out on a limb saying this. I mean, if you pay attention to the stock market and the news and CNBC, there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me that are saying, hey, you know, it's been a good run. We're, we're due for something different. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, you know, uh, the economics of our economy is cyclical and we've been on a, a long upward trend. Right. And so inevitably what goes up must come down. It's just a matter of when that is. So, you know, I, I've I've heard a lot of reports about what people are speculating will happen to housing and you know some are a little bit bullish a lot are fairly bearish um but i don't think that at a minimum we'll say this the market two years from now i don't think is dramatically more expensive than today's market or i uh, I, I think that you know if they're <clears throat> the best case scenario for us two years from now is probably about stagnant pricing is kind of the way i see it and um you know that seller that you have that might lease his house out that then is going to lease to somebody who probably has two huskies that they don't tell them about that then trashes the carpet and then oh by the way they also took the depreciation on their tax returns that they're going to recapture on when they sell it and so at the end of the day they're going to have all this work that they have to do to the house to make it retail ready they're going to have to get that recapture on the depreciation they took on their taxes because it's now a rental property for them and then they're going to list it again at the same price and they're going to probably sell it about then so it's obviously in, in my opinion not the best idea if you're trying to sell something thing you sell it at market and it is what it is i mean you can't you can't fight the market and unfortunately in your position you've got to talk to a lot of people that haven't seen the headlines of the internal numbers that we've been tracking which is price has prices have adjusted 10 percent this mm -hmm. year they have and whether or not the the media or the headlines will report that they probably well, they haven't obviously but that's the reality in the trenches yeah yeah and here's the other thing i'll say about this market too tucker Buyers can find good deals, but not every house is a good deal. And it's so there's a sifting process. I have a buyer that I uh, worked with. He's coming up from Marin County, just north of the Bay Area, selling a very, very nice multi-million dollar house down there. And he he's relocating. He's in contract. We're closing on Friday, by the way. He was a cash buyer. He uh, he reached out to me. Get this, Tucker. You'll you'll get a kick out of this. He listened to a few episodes of the podcast. He he found me uh, in Luxury Home Magazine. He checked. He did some research. Found the podcast. Listened to a few episodes. Called me. Re actually emailed me. I called him right away. Had a great you know 30, 45 minute consultation. He's relocating because of wildfires. He's he's just spooked out about all the wildfires in that region, and. Let me just say right now, Tucker, that's a real thing because we've got another client, the exact same situation. This one's from Southern California, and he was kind of close to some of the, the wildfires down there. So it's a real thing. The wildfire migration to Oregon, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Unfortunate for them down there, but I mean, I think they look at us and they say, you guys got a lot of 
water falling from the sky, that's not so bad a thing as, as other things could be. But anyway, he calls me up. We go out, and he was pretty – he just needed to be kind of within you know 45 minutes of the airport. So we go all over the region. We're, we're in Happy Valley, Oregon City. We go to southwest Washington, and we're looking at about $900 million houses. And you know we look at 11 of them or so, and every one of them wanted to sell. Make no mistake. I mean, within hours, the agent's calling me, how to go, you know, really love an offer, blah, blah, blah. But not every, not every one of those 11 was ready to, you know, do whatever it took. We found the one, unfortunately, they really liked the house, but these were sellers who own a couple other houses. They, I think one of them, they just built somewhere. It's not, not local. They built one in California or, or Washington somewhere. And so they were just done. They're ready to move. They were ready to unload the house for far less than they had into it and just be done and get out of this market. And my buyers just got a phenomenal deal on this house. But that is not to say that every house out there is like this. I mean, the, the thing about a market like this, and this is this is, you know, the blessing for the buy from the buyer side is if you're willing to take the time, look at some houses and find the one that is a, you know is the crossing where you really like the house, but also it's got a uber motivated seller. You can get a really, really good deal. But along those lines, there's going to be others that you do like a lot and they're, they're still the stubborn seller and they haven't figured it out yet. I think that will change in the next six months to a year as more and more of the stubborn sellers become motivated, but we're not there yet. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because, um, you know, we just sold one, and I'm certain that the individual that um, bought it was probably testing the waters on other properties that they were looking at as well, um, just to see. I mean, I feel like that our house was superior to anything that was on the market, but I think this guy was deal driven. Like, where's where can I get a the value, right? Where can I get the most value? And um, you know, for us, it worked out, and we we still sold above what our initial underwrite you know projections were on it, so it worked out. But they got a great buy on the property, in my opinion. Uh, but they looked at a lot of other stuff where sellers were not willing to budge. And you know, for me personally, I just I feel like we need to get out ahead of what is the new normal, and that's how we've just kind of taken on running the business. Um, you know, kind of the old adage is pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered, right? And so when you're in the business of turning over real estate like we are, we've got to turn it over. But in your business, you're in the business of getting people to kind of move on to the next chapter and actually sell their house. And so, I don't know, it's a tough balance when you go in and, and try and get a listing, but also try and educate people on what's really going on out there in the trenches. And are they ready to hear it? Do they want to hear it? And are any other agents they're talking to willing to have that conversation yet? Or are they going to forego it until later on once the, the price that they put it to market at isn't um, necessarily the price that they're going to sell it at? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it comes to listings, what I've been saying a lot lately is <clears throat> in order to, to have a happy ending and get a paycheck at the end of your listing, you really need two things to align. You need to have a motivated seller who's willing to do what it takes to sell. I would, you know, your best case scenario is a must sell, right? A must sell is where they just got relocated. I mean, I've got one right now. They, they're, they've moved out of the house and they're in Florida for a job transfer. So, so that's the one thing that needs to align. But then the second thing that needs to align is you need to keep your seller happy because you could have the first scenario where they're a motivated must sell seller, but 
if it doesn't sell in the first six months or whenever your listing contract expires, four months, whatever you're doing, and hopefully our listeners are figuring out you need to do longer and longer contracts. I know I am. I'm trying to get, I just listed a million dollar place in Oregon City and I got nine months on that one. And I would have loved to have got a year. I mean, the, the, the longer, the better in this in this environment. But nonetheless, even even with nine months or a year, there are listings. I've got a listing in Lake Oswego on Westview Court. We're, we're rapidly approaching nine months, 10 months, and I and I'm getting another extension that'll take us through to a year. We're, Why you do know, you think, just putting you on the spot, I mean, do you think that Price. Overpriced, okay. overpriced, and right. I could not talk talk sense into him. Okay. I, the challenge of our business is, you wanna you wanna educate your clients and you wanna tell you know show them reality, but you don't wanna lose the listing in the process. And then I'd rather you know you don't wanna be the guy that's sitting fr- on the sidelines watching somebody else get paid and going, yep, told you so. You see, I was right, you're wrong. I mean, you'd rather be the person that goes along with them for the journey and says, okay, you know. You're the boss. You make the decisions. I think you should be priced here, but I'm willing to support you. Let's try to get more and, and you know, let's observe the market and its reaction as we go. Back to what I was saying, though, but th- those are the two things that must happen. Keep the seller happy. And that I think a lot of that we've talked to over the over the years on this podcast about, you know, proactive communication, education, great marketing. Those are things that keep sellers happy. If you have those two things aligned, you will get paychecks. But if you take either one of those out of there and you risk having a paycheck at the end of your listing, for example, you could have a happy seller that loves you, but if they're not motivated, if they're just like, let's throw mud at a wall, if it sells for one, three, great. If it doesn't, you know, I don't need to move. Well, you could have a happy seller, but that's not a motivated seller. So you really need to have an alignment of those two components in order to get paychecks. And in this environment, I'd say, you know, a year or two ago, you didn't need... Heck, you didn't need either of those. <laughs> no. In 2015, you could list something overpriced and have a seller that doesn't like you, and you're pro- there's a good chance you're going to get a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's going to become, or it has become, an increasingly more challenging job, we'll call it. And, you know, of course, you've got all the outside forces uh, trying to disrupt the real estate agent industry as well, so you're kind of in the eye of the storm or not even not the eye of the storm you're in the storm right now in terms of sat you know keeping people happy and then also fending off the um the zillows and the red fins of the world that uh have the the back line into anybody and everybody who's looking to potentially sell their house or look for a house before anybody else knows yeah well let's go into some of the other stuff were you were, did you have more to say about your uh what your business what you got going on how's upper drive tucker i'm I'm we're listing sold out. House. We're sold out. We're done. You're all sold out. We're gotcha. sold out. Yep. Good. We uh we're wrapped up with that. And uh, the only other project that we have on Upper Drive now is uh, our view lot, which will be an it's a it's an amazing piece of property. But we've got a uh, partnership with the city like us. So we go to put in a storm system for all of Upper Drive using a small sliver of our property to run the pipe on. And so we're uh, having a um meeting on uh, Thursday this week, probably when the podcast comes out to uh, hash out all the details and the cost share and um, talk with all the big wigs down at the city and, um, you know, get all that nailed down. So that'll be our next project there. But yeah, we're sold out of our Upper Drive project, which is great. Good for you. Yeah, I've got a brand new listing. It's going to hit the market in January on Upper Drive. It was right across the street from yours or, you know, kind of catty corner. And uh, in fact, I it was in my comps when we were going through the comps. But I've also got a buyer that's kind of looking in that area. And I, I got to tell you, this is what I was telling them that day. And I actually reached out to you. You and I were texting, I think it was last week. 
<clears throat> I was looking at another one of the builders over there's inventory. He had a big lot property, nice house, um, nothing wrong with it. My buyers liked it, but that is just, that is such a great area. And I think you've been a big part of the resurgence or whatever you want to call it, the, the renaissance of upper drive. Well, um, Renaissance is built there too, but, uh, yeah, we've had, we've played a big part. <laughs> I mean, I did I over the last three years, we were probably like by square footage of dirt. We were the biggest landowner in that area. We aren't anymore because we've we just sold off an acre, but uh, you know we own another two acres still between my house and the the other property. But it's it's an amazing area. I saw that in 2014, I th 13, I 14 as yeah. a, a budding area with it's got Lakeview on one side. You've got commercial redevelopment going on in Lake Grove. Yeah, it's 12 minutes to Johns Landing on the back roads. It's five minutes to I-5 in Bridgeport. Um, and lo and behold, we built one new house, uh, that I used to live in on upper drive next to the church. And that spawned a whole bunch of additional builders jumping in and the area has now changed completely. And it's, it's an awesome area. It's my favorite part of Lake Oswego, hands down. Yeah. And, and by the way, when I said Renaissance, I didn't mean the builder. I meant the coming to life of I upper know, drive. I just Gotcha. Randy's so, been in that area as well. Because so. I remember um, I lived down over there on Lakeview Boulevard in 0506, and that was just a different street. Upper Drive was not what it is today. It was probably more comparable to Pilkington-ish, a little bit, you know, just smaller homes, bigger lots, kind of rough-ish. Oh, it was run down garbage. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. We, we dozed a number of houses that made me feel like I was in deep, deep felony flats, like Rockwood, like bad rockwood um so <laughs> yeah so it's, it's cleaned and out a lot you drive through there now and it's just picturesque um pleasantville usa just gorgeous home after gorgeous home all looking a little different you know not not cookie cutter very you know you'll have an ultra modern one next to a really nice traditional one and i agree with you you know the stuff that helps what they've done zupan's hefe you know la provence and they keep they keep kind of adding to those. I think I think Boone's Ferry is just getting better and better, and I think it will continue to get better. Bridgeport's close by. Well, they're the Boone's Ferry project starts here very shortly, which is they're going to redo the whole road, so they have bike lanes and uh, medians, and it'll basically look like downtown Lake Oswego. And then, of course, they have the new um, full care facility that's on one corner of uh, Cruz and Boone's, and on the other corner, they're taking down the Providence center there and they're creating a smaller bridge port. So essentially oh, that's going to be, that's going to be a new mall walking mall there. My uh, doctor's but, in that Providence thing. Yeah. Well, he won't be for very long, very much longer. Um, so it's, they're continuing to push the needle in terms of redevelopment of Lake Grove. And, um, you know, I, I personally believe that at the point that that's completed, that'll be the most desirable part of Lake Oswego just due to proximity and, and ease of in and out because, you know, downtown Lake Oswego is cool, but it's it's buried. It's tough to get to. And um, that's the one negative about it is you have to live in a bubble down there. Whereas if you live in Lake Grove, you can more easily get to all different parts of town. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think downtown Lake Oswego is nice if you need to go to downtown Portland. I think that drive down 43 into Portland is beautiful and I think it's quick. But it is a bear to get from there to Beaverton. It's yeah. there's no quick way to do that or to let alone Hillsboro or Intel or anything, you know, any of those industries out there. So our, our most recent buyer worked at Nike. And yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. Let me chat about a couple things I've got going on here. Talked about my, you know, my out of state wildfire people. We were, I was going to chat about that. I was in a I was in a court hearing last year. I was not named in it, but it was one of my listings. My builder down in Salem 
was getting he was named in a lawsuit along with another builder along with a developer i sold a listing it was that my builder built and she the, the buyer was suing all of those parties because another house was going up behind it and it was obstructing her views and she was a little bit of a crazy by the way I'm so sure wait, she w was the builder that built her house did he have anything to do with the house behind it being built no, no, but she actually had my marketing in the courtroom and she was, you know, from the witness stand, they were having it read and it said, you know, great, great views, great mountain views. I won't go into all the details, Tucker. It was just kind of, it was eye opening for me. It was, it's getting dismissed. The judge told her, you know, you're a savvy buyer. You've, you've bought eight properties. You knew there was a lot there. You had every right to do your due diligence there were plat maps everywhere that showed a house was going up there. The lot was listed on RMLS or WVMLS, I believe it was, as a house was going up there. So you should have known and you, sh you had every ability to do your due diligence. It was a little eye opening. I was okay. I didn't. Was that the first time you've been to court or had to deal with a lawsuit in, in this well, I world wasn't of real estate? In a lawsuit, first of all. So I, so I, I know, I'm not saying you are, but like. Yeah. The it was the first time I've been in a situation like that. And so today, knock on wood, I've never been. I've never been sued or, or named in a lawsuit, but I definitely was involved in this because here I was listening to my marketing being read from a witness stand. Luckily, this is what I would say to our listeners, Tucker. I mean, this is what I took away from it is just never be absolute in your marketing. In other words, in, in my case, had I said unobstructed mountain views, I think, you know, there could have been something there or if I had that was kind of my big takeaway. I think from a marketing standpoint, you never want to say, you know, the best schools, you want to say great schools, you, you know, just don't be absolute, but and semantics do matter when it comes to marketing. Cause this was a, this was a prime example where just a crazy out there. And even if, even if that still wouldn't have lost the case, it, it would have let it go further and further. Right. And you, my well, poor you builder, you want to hear a story? I don't want to segue too bad, but talking about semantics and just small verbiage right back in 2012 we got sued and we got sued because the buyer also kind of a crazy um we had uh we had like remember when we i think we had like 20 inches of snow that year and then it rained and it all melted and there was flooding everywhere and it was just it was horrible and this person who bought one of our houses got a little bit of water in their basement and i felt bad about that obviously and so we agreed to remedy you know put in a whole new waterproofing system on our dime to essentially solve the problem and um we were willing to do that and then they it started to snowball kind of like it got into semantics and then they went in and they brought suit against us or potential suit against us saying they would have never bought the house because of the way that the wording was in the listing and the listing said new foundation and it was an older home, but it had a new foundation. We poured three walls. The fourth wall was new within probably five years of us buying it, but it was a 30s home that had a new foundation, right? And they said that they never would have bought the house had they known that we didn't pour that fourth wall. Even oh, though boy. Wall oh, boy. And yeah. so that ended up costing me a lot of money. I wrote them a check to just basically get out of my life because they had gone down a crazy path, and there's no way to reel somebody back in once they're down that path. And, um, so I 
just chose i felt bad about the water intrusion and so that was something that uh you know i was willing to compensate them for but i just wrote a check to make them disappear but yeah you have to be very careful because there are people out there that will take things and twist things and they will make them fit their narrative based on what they're trying to accomplish and that was one where it bit us because of that so yeah another great great example tucker and had you said um Mostly new foundation. Newer would have been, been sufficient. Yeah. 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 Or 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 not talk about it at all. <laughs> not talk right. about the foundation at all. Another example of that, um, just to just to further go down that completely updated. Imagine if you've got a home and you say completely updated, and then the buyer moves in and then they find that one thing, you know, under you know, they, that that one area. What's the likelihood that you have a remodeled home that's completely updated or all all new appliances. We had an agent at PPG. She got sued because she put all new appliances. Something broke down a year or two later, and she and it turned out that they were like two years old, three years old, right? Or completely remodeled. Just those types of absolutes are, are really specific. Um, like if you say newer appliances, you're usually safe. Or if you say most, you know, many updates, many updates, you're really safe. So. Anyways, not to beat that one down, you know, what, what? the last thing on that one, much like your story, Tucker, the builder's been over backwards trying to make this lady happy. So when she first reached out to him, you know, most things don't natu automatically go to lawsuit, as you can imagine and, and attest to, you know, usually it starts with dialogue between the parties. And then when, when they had hit a crossroads where they, they're, they can't go any further, then it goes there. She reached out to them. She's like, hey, what are you building here? How tall is it going to be? They met with her. They they redesigned the house. They they put a hip roof on it. This all came out in court, right? They they changed it to a hip roof. They lowered the foundation. They made it a one level house. They were doing everything imaginable to try to to keep her happy. And in the end, she still wasn't happy. And so she went down that path. But it looks like it's going to be very favorable for them, and it's getting thrown out. But the, not without brain damage as you would say right i mean you know yeah. what i've noticed on every single one of those because we've dealt with and by the way i got named in a subpoena for another crazy lawsuit last month that i had nothing to do with i sold another uh developer a lot a teardown and the people were suing them because they didn't complete their builder warranty stuff on the year later and they were naming me in it as well because they were just going upstream to try and get money out of everybody they could and the builder they bought it from had dissolved the company and they had declared bankruptcy so they were just trying to grab money from whoever they could grab it from and they said that they needed two hundred fifty six thousand dollars to remedy the warranty repairs which was obs obscene but what i have found at the end of the day is all these crazy lawsuits boil down to one thing and that's bad attorneys. And those bad attorneys are generally pro bono, not charging the clients an hourly. And they're basically chasing after deeper pockets and they're willing to take their payment on the back end because no normal person will pay the attorney fees that it costs to go down these rabbit holes for these stupid, stupid things. Mm -hmm. They'll go through arbitration. You'll hand them an envelope with a check and make it nicey nice. And usually that's where normal people part ways. But when you have an attorney that is either family used to be a part of they were you know somehow related or otherwise they're doing this pro bono until payment happens that's what allows these things to turn into much bigger problems than they ever should and so 
I just have to say that because I've dealt with it so many times and I want to go down to this off those offices and put my foot up there. You know what? Because <laughs> it just it takes small problems and it makes mountains and they're easily solvable problems that then become just huge issues for everybody. And just a giant time suck. I mean, you didn't need to go down there and spend your time listening to that. I mean, it was a complete waste. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know why I wasn't named, by the way? I don't know. I don't know definitively, but me and my co-list um, agent are pretty confident. The reason we weren't named because she named she named both builders, the builder of the house I sold, the builder of the house that's being built down down from it. That was, you know, going to block some of its view. It was a partial blockage. It was like the, the view from the master. All the, the living area was still going to be OK. And they named the developer. We're pretty confident the reason we weren't named is because if we got pulled into it, their realtor would have been pulled into it. Their realtor had nothing to do with this. And when we reached out to her realtor, she said, yeah, she's she's a little she's off. She's off the rails. And we had many conversations about that house. So I, I think the uh, the plaintiff didn't want us involved because we would have pulled the re- the other realtor in who would have not been on their case side. She would have said, yeah, there was many conversations about a house being built down from there. So, hey, let's try a little bit about some PPG stuff going on. We're doing a, a PPG. We have our circle of giving. It's our it's kind of like our in-house charity. It's it's kind of a cool thing. Any one of our agents can donate to it. I personally have a recurring thing every one of my transactions. I have like 35 bucks come out and go into the circle of giving. Ultimately, what we do is quarterly we donate 50% of the donations to a local nonprofit, the local chapter of a nonprofit. We also have an in-house thing where any of our agents that has some kind of immediate family member that has a, a life-altering challenge of some sort, for example, a death in a family, a cancer, anything like that, we they can be sponsored and we, we write them a check out of it. In addition to that, we also do this cool thing where on a regular basis we go to uh, various events where we volunteer and we're actually doing that today at With Love, which is over in Tigard off Durham Road. It supports foster families. They provide clothes, toys, whatever whatever is needed for foster families. So that's kind of a cool thing we got going on there. Another thing I'll say real quick, and then I'm done with PPG and we can move on to other stuff. We're seeing a lot. This kind of ties to the market, Tucker. We're seeing, I've been seeing a lot of our newer agents like less experienced agents, not renew their licenses. I get an email every time somebody leaves a company and, and I, I always click on it. And I'm seeing like, what, you know, what's going on here? But I've been seeing, I think it feels to me more so than normal. And by the way, this is kind of peak season for that. Do you know why Tucker? It's because PMAR dues are, yeah, are due okay. in January, which is a big number to, to get your annual PMAR dues. It's about 600 bucks, I think, give or take. And so a newer agent who hasn't done any deals in a while, they're going to think twice about writing that check. So we're seeing a lot m- more of them, which I think is a testament to the market and the challenges of it. But interestingly enough, we're still bringing on a lot of newer agents. So I think there's a little disconnect there. And I think that's something that usually lags is new agents, people coming into the business, they don't know the challenges that are happening. They've been hearing for years, oh, real estate's great. You should get your real estate license. It will change. I think it's probably a, we're probably about a year away from the peak where we start to see less and less new brand new agents coming into the business. But we are starting to see, uh, I think, a cycling out of the the brand new agents who who you know had all the support they could get, but they just didn't quite make it. So yeah, it's interesting. I would I would be curious what the updated total count on agents will be at the end of the year. 
from uh, Mr. RMLS himself, who uh, I'm sure will come up in our uh, year in review. But um, I'd be interested to know what the the new count is as of after PMAR dues are due uh, yeah. in January versus what it was, let's call it November. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I'd, I'd love to get Kurt back on here in early next year sometime to chat about some stuff. Let's chat real quick about the market action report, Tucker. I wanted to, a couple things I wanted to touch base on. You know the definition when 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 we talk about the economy, forget real estate. You know you know the definition of a recession, right? It's when the economy contracts instead of expands. Yeah, I believe and, it's uh, three consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, two or yep. three, one and two. Yeah. So. And usually, when the economy contracts, it's not mon monumental. Like even the Great Recession, I'm I'm guessing, but I think it was like six seven percent, which is very big, right? Normally, a recession is like 2%, 3%. Well, the reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm, I just, I just want to go on record and say like, we're seeing a real estate recession. I mean, look at these numbers. But no, before you go any farther, I will say every time we've had a recession, by the time we're in it, it's not announced until we're much farther in. Yeah, yeah. So just a little sidebar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you look at the numbers, closed sales – fared similarly, cooling 10.2% from November of 17 to November of 2018. That means that there are 10% less transactions for all of us to scrap over year over year. That is a, that is a, that is a recession. That, that's a contraction of real estate. And there was a 23% drop in offers accepted. That number is monstrous. Yeah, yeah, I was going to touch base on that. So pending sales accepted last year in November, 23.3% less pendings in November of 18 compared to November of 17. That's that's a quarter of the business is is down in pending sales. That's those are just crazy numbers. So that just to in layman's terms for everybody, I put I wrote in my notes here big halt equals price drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's where uh, the 10%, uh, we'll call it uh, troughing in price occurred, uh, you know, across the board is essentially right there. Whether or not it's realized and recognized is a whole other topic as we've talked about. But yeah, that's a, that's a big number. And that affects us all. I mean, if your market share year over year is exactly identical, you're going down 10%. You know, the analogy I'd use of that is, you know, if you take a large pizza and you slice it into four, four pieces, right, you've, you've got a, a pretty good sized pizza. If now you take a medium and you slice it into four pieces, the same four pieces, you've got that much less. That is what is happening with the market. So in order to do the same amount of business in 18 as you do in 17, you've got to grow market share. To grow your business, to do more business in 18 than you did in 17 you've really got to grow your market share. So it's interesting, interesting data there. I met with a title company. I, I met with the higher ups of a title company here in the last month. And they were telling us, and you'll find this interesting, Tucker, they were telling us their business, their opens and closes is down about 30%. Any guesses why they're down 30% when we're, real estate's only down about 10%? Probably the fact that rates are higher and they're losing out on refi business too. That's right. Yeah, I knew you'd get that one, Tucker. Yeah, that you set me up, yeah. but I hit. And I got we, it. We're, we, if we think we're hurting, being down ten percent or twenty three percent pending, the mortgage world is 
is just dying on the vine because they've lost all their refis. With oh, you're bringing back memories of August 2007 when I was sitting in my office and I got all the calls that they're freezing all our pipelines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not so, that bad, but they are. No, it's definitely not that bad. Yeah. But the refis have dried up almost almost overnight in 2018. So all that leaves all the mortgage people out there to to fight over is the purchase business, and that's down 10%. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an even tougher time for the mortgage world than it is for us, believe it or not. And then, then of course, if there's that much less business going on out there, everybody that's looking for a mortgage wants that much more competitive in terms of the terms, right? So, you know, they're looking for the best possible deal. So not only are you fighting for less business, you're also probably pressing down fees and rates and everything else to try and get that business. So yeah, it's, it's a struggle uh, yeah. when market, you know, the amount of customers in the marketplace shrinks by that amount. But that's a pretty staggering number for the title company opens. I, I did not yeah. know that. So, yeah, I was surprised. Advice. I didn't expect it to be that much. But the second they said, well, yeah, it's because of the mortgage side, all the refis. I was like, oh, duh, of course. That's that's a huge monstrous number. As as two mortgage guys, you, you and I know it's kind of a forgotten thing in the in the title world that that they get. They, you know, they get a very substantial amount of business from lenders. You know, we're, as realtors, we're used to being wined and dined by by the title companies, but the mortgage lenders are as well because they get to dictate where they open uh, title and escrow on every one of their refis. And in good times, you know, in a in a low rate environment, that can be pretty substantial. I mean, a good a good loan officer could be opening three, four of those a month or more. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's a lot lot of transactions that they're down. Well, we could go on to the year in review, the podcast, kind of close up with that. Let's do it. Let's do it. I will say real quick, inventory numbers came out at 2.8 months, which was just slightly up, but uh, I was expecting more. And uh, days on market went up by four days to 57. So um, slightly higher inventory and slightly higher time on the market as well. So overall, that's kind of the theme. Yeah. So, but year in review, we've had some, we've had some awesome guests on this year um, for sure. You know, we had, uh, let's see, the biggest first guest was, of course, uh, Kurt from uh, RMLS, which hopefully yep. we can get him back on. He was a fantastic guest. I know uh, he's also a, a good friend of yours, but uh, he was he was a great interview and a wealth of knowledge and just an overall good guy. And he's he's got such a good pulse in, in, in a way that no one else can on, like you said, number of licensees, real estate licensees. He, he has all the data of RMLS, which is powerful i mean when we do, when we look at the market action report we're looking at data put out by rmls so he's he knows heck he probably knows what's happening right now under our feet and he, so i think he would be awesome to get back on here and just to see what he sees changing and his predictions and and he has some pretty cool info on trends too because i'm i sat through a presentation that it was i think i referenced it when we had him on the show i sat through a presentation where he he showed data and he, and what what he showed is the number of licensees lags the number of transactions. So when the market corrects and suddenly you have 10% less closed deals, you don't immediately have less licensees because there's, and let me give you an example. You know, someone somewhere out there six months ago, you know, well, let me say it this way. Somewhere, someone somewhere out there a year ago was told by a buddy, hey, I just got my real estate license. It's pretty cool. You know, I, I get to make my own schedule. I, I got three deals in escrow, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then six months ago, that same person goes, hey, you should get your real estate license. You know, my, I, I've got two more deals in escrow, blah, 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 blah. Right. And and don't take my, you know, it could also be two years ago, three years ago. But, but, but the point being, 
somewhere in the last six months, they, they said, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going into real estate. Just because CNBC puts out an article saying the market's changing or just because the market action report shows 10% down, they the train has left the station. They're getting their real estate license, right? So those people are still coming into the business, but that will change. Give it probably another six months or a year, and I think you're going to start to see the lagging number of agents, new agents coming into the business will start to, to go down, 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 down. And then as others are leaving the business, the number of licensees will really plunge. But it usually doesn't, it, it usually lags. And I, Kurt had data from the last downturn. I want to say it lags a year or two. Yeah, so I was not, surprised. I remember when he said it and it was like, huh, it definitely was interesting. And it was a, a sizable amount of time. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, so, uh, what, and it kind of creates, uh, and here's the other thing I'll say about it. It creates, um, this, this point in the market where it's kind of the most painful because the market has corrected. There is less transactions yet. There's still a lot of licensees. Um, you know, flash forward two years from now, maybe that maybe transactions are down, but there'll be, there will be less competition. So it does get better, but we're in probably one of the, the worst parts of the cycle right now um but go on from there we'll talk about some of our other guests uh well we had uh matt tersick um who obviously we didn't get all of his interview on because uh, we had some technical difficulties but he was a he was an interesting show um really good guy i was very interested to hear how he was so laser focused on just the lake oswego market because he knows it so well um, but obviously it's working for him, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, it, it's always cool to get different people's business models and kind of pull back the veil and see how they operate. And, uh, you know, he was very open and sharing with us, which was awesome. So he was a great guest as well. Yep, he sure was. And then we had our celebrity guests. You remember we that? We did. We had we had Mr. Uh, my friend, Mr. Antonio Harvey, as well as our, uh, you know, Mr. Adam Bjarnson. Who uh, or Bjornson? Yeah, Bjornson. Yeah. Laser celebrity guest. Sorry, oh. Adam, I, I butchered your last name, but he was a he was a great guest as well. So we had back to back celebrity guests with those two guys uh, that uh, were tied to the Blazers, and those were both really fun shows. Yeah, both uh, tied to the Blazers, both na announcers, both natural on the mics, um, very entertaining, and and uh, and both in real estate. So so they they definitely ties to to, to our podcast and and our audience. Um, and then we did, we had a, we had also street of dreams episode. I, I, I really enjoyed our street of dreams this year. Um, it was a good time. It was, it, it you know was what? I, pro properties. I, I looked up yesterday, the day before yesterday, how many of them it had sold because we had the discussion and there's only been one. Really? That, that was Phil's house. So congratulations, Phil on his mom's wow. house. But the other ones are still holding strong at a number that. How many are on the market out there? Uh, there was a handful still. Um, so I wow. know the um, uh, the company that built the really edgy one a year ago. Um, there oh, is yeah. still sitting. Um, the the uh, the, the yeah. Japanese house. It was. It, I remember thinking then it was an interesting mix of the most specs that I've ever seen at a Street of Dreams. At mm -hmm. that location, at this point in the market, seemed like all these different layers of, oh no. So I don't know. We'll see how they sell out, but they're still, as of right now, uh, still on the market. A number of them, and um, you know, Phil got out apparently unscathed, and so congratulations to him. 
What do you think next? Do you think next year's Street of Dreams is where they start to tone things down and, and get no. a little bit more cautious? Or will it be the year after? I think next year's is a good location. Um, oh. And uh, it's right at the Frog Pond. Uh, they're calling it Frog Pond something. But it's right in between basically Stafford and Wilsonville. So it's a good location. I think that will sell no matter what. It's a great uh, location. Yeah. So loca- I think next year is going to be just the market in general is going to be location, location, location. Right. If yeah. it's not in an A-plus location or has an amazing view or something about it, the market's going to kind of beat you up a little bit but if you have those intangibles you know you're still going to carry pretty well price wise so i think they chose a good spot for next year and ultimately i think that that will that'll probably push the price pendulum um because of that and and builders will probably get a little aggressive they'll probably be nervous as hell underneath the surface (laughs) but um you know they'll probably be trying to line up some customs to build as well so they can kind of mitigate a lot of that risk is my guess oh yeah yeah that's the ideal scenario for them for sure even though that has its own inherent challenges right oh yeah that's why we don't do it so (laughs) what do you mean you want this room's walls to be purple (laughs) um Cool. And then we had a lot of market action. We had Masters, Best of Masters. We had a bunch of those. Good old Joe Fistolo joined Joe's, us. Oh, yeah. And, Joe's always uh, we, a great guest. Yeah. We talked about a lot of interesting topics. I won't go into all of them, but um, they're uh, – and if, and if any of our listeners haven't listened to them, um, those, those are timeless. Those, yeah. those are always timeless. You can, you can always pick up some nuggets from those. It's usually something – Something real estate, uh, realtor usually focused about some nuance of our business. And, you know, it's a question that was posted in the group that we, uh, we dissect, we go over, we, we, um, we, uh, you know, quote and read a lot of the comments and, and kind of give our spin on what, what we would do in that situation or how to avoid that situation. And there's, uh, there's quite a, uh, plethora of those topics as well. And, and then lastly, in 2018, we did a quite a few uh, market action report, um, you know, state of the market episodes. And they were, you know, it was a changing year. It was a changing year. And we were there, you know, front and center, living it, working in it and um, surviving in it. Um, I know personally and I, personally, I have downsized my, my team. I've, you know, I've gone from about at the peak, I think going into the year, I had 11 licensed agents. Now I've got six. I had about five or six, you know, maybe five and a half with one part-time support staff. I'm down to three. Um, and I, it's, it's been a huge blessing to have that, that lower overhead. I think anytime you go into a, a, um, a changing environment like that, Never underestimate the value of of having low overhead and and low cost and 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 what that does for your um what it does for your business and what it does for you not having to feel like you need every deal and being able to you know when those buyers do start to pump the brakes go you know what not a problem let's you know I I understand you want to sit out you know and move on to the next one versus you know feeling that that desperate like got to get these deals going got to get these deals going I think it's just a it's just a smart way to run the business. I uh, I learned that through the first downturn, and it's important to get ahead of these things and and not be behind them. That's for sure. I completely agree, and I'm right with you. And I'll I'll end it on this. I feel like there we've been through a number of ups and downs now, and I feel like there is definitely an opportune time to punch that gas pedal, right? Just hit it hard, and then there's also an equally opportune time to pump the brakes. Yeah, and, um, yep. you know it's. 
having long-term success in this business, staying in it as long as we've been in it on all sides is understanding when the right time to do each of those things is. So. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. We talked about that on one podcast. I mean, I, I use the analogy in the good times. I'm, a, I'm an optimist by nature. So I'm always believing that I'm going to do better next year than I did this year. I, you know, next I'm going to do better next month than this month. And it's served me well for most of my career, but it can get you in trouble in these times because so what the, that optimism, what it inherently does is you'll, you'll start to add team members. You'll start to add costs. You'll go, Hey, you know, I need that new CRM. Let me go ahead and invest in it because if I, if I have it then next month will be better if, and you, you'll do that across your business. And, and to your point, Tucker, there are times where that ser has served me really, really well. Um, I use the analogy of, you know, building the eight lane freeway, maybe when you only need six lanes today because you're building for the future. But then there are times where you start to see those storm clouds on the horizon and it just might be okay to have a little traffic jam. <laughs> yeah. I Take couldn't. that, you know, stop building that eight lane freeway, have the six lane freeway. And, and let traffic pile up a little bit, you know, not, not, you don't want it to come to a dead standstill. You don't want to give your clients a bad experience, but personally I'm working more than I have worked any time in the last two, three years. I mean, I'm working seven days a week, oftentimes 10, 12 hours a day, but I will take that right now rather than add another team member or two and the costs and, and all that goes along with that, because that's how, that's how you get through these times. And there will come a time. It, I don't know when it's going to be. It might be a little ways down the road where, you know, I, 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 I have a good sense of things. I'll go, okay, it's okay to add another team member now and, and, and improve my quality of life right now. You know, in, in the past I would add team members and what it did was it improved quality of life. Like maybe I didn't have to go to that, that appointment. Maybe I didn't have to go to that showing. Well, right now is a time where I think maybe sacrificing a little bit of quality of life in return for peace of mind of lower cost, lower overhead, and being busier myself personally, I think that's just a good prudent decision to make. So, All solid advice. No one to hit the gas, no one to pump the brakes. And, it reminds uh, me of the Kenny Rogers song, right? Is that no a one to hold them, no one to fold them. No one to hold them, no one to fold them. Well, we're not folding anything, but we're definitely uh, <laughs> eyes wide open going into 2019, that's for sure. So, Well, I think this was a great episode. We covered a lot of stuff. Um, overarching theme of this year is that it just was an ever-changing market. And, um, you know, it's going to be continually changing, I think, as we go into Q1 of 2019. So we'll be knocking out shows uh, as we continue this uh, podcast. But uh, we'll keep everybody up to date on what we're seeing out in the trenches and just kind of what we're feeling in our businesses. Sounds good. Sounds good. To all of our listeners, enjoy the rest of the year. Happy holidays. And uh, we'll see you on the, on the other side of 2019. That's right. We'll see you guys all next year. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.